Well, uh, good morning to you, First Baptist of Hacienda. It's a privilege to be with you again, and uh, uh, thank you for the prayer, Oscar. Uh, my wife is 35 weeks pregnant, and I was telling her, please do not give birth yet, because I have one more sermon to go. So um, I'm glad I am here, and uh, uh, glad to share the word with you this morning. Um, before we look in our text, I'd like to offer a prayer of illumination. So uh, would you join me in prayer, a short prayer of illumination. Our Father in heaven, your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Your word is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness that your people may be complete and equipped for every good work. Your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. So we pray your Holy Spirit would open our eyes to behold wonderful things in your law. We pray that you would incline our hearts to your testimonies and turn our eyes away from worthless things. We pray that the light of the gospel would shine brighter in our hearts as we await that blessed day for all who long for your son's appearing. So would you teach us, humble us, and conform us to the image of your son. We know that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. So strengthen our inner man by your spirit. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, please uh, turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 to 9. I see that's in your bulletin. And uh, I chose 1 Peter as our text because 1 Peter is extremely relevant and, and practical for the times we are living in. Uh, Albert Moeller, the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, wrote a book called The Gathering Storm. And, and in the, this book, he says that a, a secular storm has come upon the church in which the church will face increasing pressure and even persecution. In Australia, for example, a, a brother, pastor, uh, asked for prayer because the Victorian Parliament adopted the, the change or suppression prohibition bill of 2020. In this bill, any prayers or or conversations of trying to persuade someone about changing their sexual identity or gender identity is considered illegal. When someone alleges injury as a result from prayer or conversation or even a sermon, criminal charges can be brought about, and this may result in prison term up to 10 years and a fine of $200,000. Just a few weeks ago in the United States, the The House of Representatives voted on the Equality Act that will prohibit discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity. This would amend the Civil Rights Acts of 1964 to change the definition of of sexuality, which includes sexual orientation and preferred gender identity. If the bill passes in the House and the Senate, if you do not conform to the secular definition of sexuality, uh, there will be increasing pressure and legal consequences. So First Peter helps us and prepares us to live in a hostile culture. First uh, Peter is relevant for us because it also prepares us for suffering. First uh, Peter prepares us for suffering. We are called to follow the footsteps of our suffering Savior. Uh, Pilgrim's Progress is one of my favorite Christian classics, and I, I love this book because it, it describes the Christian life as a journey. Through, through many trials and temptations and battles against the flesh and the world and the devil. And in the words of Paul, through many trials and tribulations, we, we must enter the kingdom of God. 
So 1 Peter is relevant because it prepares us to live in a hostile culture. It prepares us to suffer, but it also reminds us of who we are as believers in Jesus Christ. And 2020 was just a a clash of competing ideologies and, and worldviews that you probably saw on social media and even in politics. And it's important to remember who we are as believers. We are not identified primarily through a blue donkey or a red elephant, but a bloody cross. Peter reminds these believers who are scattered throughout Asia Minor that they are chosen exiles. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, they have been set apart by the Spirit of God. They have been cleansed by the blood of the Son of God, the Lamb of God who takes away our sins. And in the midst of our difficulties and trials, Peter wants us to have a heavenly perspective to endure temporary suffering. Uh, Did you know today marks one year of lockdowns and going through this pandemic? Uh, I remember this was a Sunday where this was our last Sunday before we went live stream. And I don't know what trials, brothers and sisters, you went through, but I'm sure you did go through some trials And Peter wants to encourage us by giving us a heavenly perspective. Uh, John Calvin, the reformer, says that the main object of this epistle is to raise us above the world in order that we may be prepared and encouraged to sustain the spiritual contest or warfare of the Christian life. So in Peter's letter, he, he reminds us of our great salvation. And by being reminded of our great salvation, of what God has done in the past, what He's doing in the present, and what He is doing in the future, this will encourage us to endure present trials. So if you're taking notes, we are to praise God for what He has done in the past, what He is doing in the present, and what He will do in the future to encourage us in our trials to give us endurance in our trials. So if you have a Bible, uh, you can read along with me in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 9. It's in your bulletin if you would follow along. And I'll start in verse 3. It says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him, Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is a reading of God's holy word. Number one, we can praise God because of what he has done in the past. And by praising God for what he has done in the past, it will sustain us for present trials. Notice in verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter begins with a doxology. Uh, Doxology is a hymn or a a hymn of praise. 
Um, Paul would begin his letters similarly, like for example in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3, and, and he praises God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. God the Father according to his foreknowledge who has chosen us, and, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's, it's interesting that the, the phrase Lord, it's the same term applied to God in the Old Testament. The, the Son shares the same divine status and equality with the Father, yet the Son, Jesus Christ, in His incarnation has assumed a human nature to take on the sins of mankind. And not only is He the one who saves us from our sins, but He is the Christ, the anointed one, the chosen one, the one who would fulfill God's promises to Abraham and David. And why does he praise God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ? Because look in the next phrase, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Uh, mercy is different from grace. Uh, mercy focuses on the sinner's miserable, pitiful condition. Now think about the Old Testament in Exodus, where the children of Israel were enslaved and the Egyptians mistreated them and abused them and made them work overtime. And the Lord had mercy upon their miserable condition. Well, for those of us who are believers, we know that we were once dead in sins. We were headed for eternal destruction. We were enslaved by sinful passions and, and the desires of our flesh. And Ephesians 2 tells us we were, by nature, children of wrath. And yet God had mercy. He looked upon our miserable condition. And not only did He have mercy, but He caused a new birth to give us new life. It's by grace you have been saved. And by grace we have been raised with Christ and seated with Christ in the heavenly places. It's according to His great mercy we have been born again. We have been made new. So Christianity is not just behavior modification externally, but Christianity is new life. New spiritual life that has been implanted in your soul by the imperishable seed, the living and abiding Word of God. See, you can go to church your whole life and still not be born again. You can conform to the externals of religion, but still not be born again. And it's only by God's sovereign, gracious mercy at work that He causes the new birth in our lives by the Word of God. Uh, the Christian life begins with mercy. He looks upon us in our miserable condition and He acts. He causes a new birth. Uh, Jonathan Edwards defined that a truly born-again Christian has holy affections, the desires inwardly in your heart have changed that sin becomes distasteful and what does this new birth produce well notice the next phrase this new birth causes new life it causes a living hope new life causes you to have a living hope that's a very interesting phase living hope so hope is not wishful thinking in the bible it's not it's not saying i hope i don't get covid or i hope i get into harvard it See, that communicates a degree of uncertainty. A biblical hope communicates certainty that God will absolutely fulfill His promises in the future. And it's secured through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, Matthew Henry the Puritan said, The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the ground or foundation of a Christian's hope. 
The resurrection of Christ is the act of the Father as a judge and the Son as a conqueror. His resurrection demonstrates that the Father accepts His death in full discharge for our ransom, that He is victorious over death, the grave, and all our spiritual enemies, and it's also assurance of our own resurrection. You cannot have Christianity without a resurrection from the grave, specifically the resurrection of Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the foundation of the Christian faith. It's a living hope because we serve a living Savior. Paul says if there is no resurrection, we are meant to be most pitied. Uh, Resurrection is, is a historical fact, but the resurrection also secures our salvation, our hope, and our future. So we wait for it eagerly. This new birth not only produces a living hope, but it produces an eternal inheritance. Verse 4, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You know that word inheritance is in the Old Testament. That referred to the promised land or in the book of Joshua, where Joshua distributes the inheritance to the tribes of Israel. Well, Peter describes for us what this inheritance is negatively using three terms. It's imperishable, it's undefiled, and it's unfading. You know, uh, 2020 was probably one of the hardest years for me pastorally. You you should encourage pastors uh, because of all the different things that they had to go through. So, you know, for Pastors Appreciation Month, if you guys celebrate that, buy Pastor Jeremy a steak or, you know, some type of weird animal. Um... But, uh, you know, I was like, this is a hard year. I, uh, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy a, a leather chair for my, my home office. Um, I, I waited every day to buy this particular leather chair. I, I bought it from West Elm, by the way. That's, that's how baller it is. West Elm outlet, that is, because I'm a pastor. But finally, they had this one chair in stock. Uh, and I found it, and I bought it for half price, by the way. Um, and uh, two weeks later, I found scratchings all over my chair. In fact, tic-tac-toe markings on my leather chair. Well, my kids decided it would be fun to use their fingernails to play tic-tac-toe on daddy's nice leather chair. And let's just say that I was not the most sanctified father at that time. See, our inheritance is not perishable like that chair. It's not corrupted. It's not something that death can ravage. It cannot decay. This inheritance is also undefiled. It, it means it cannot be polluted. Peter says this inheritance is unfading. It's not affected by time. Uh, I don't know about you, but I, I love new car smells. Uh, but you know that that car smell eventually goes away, right? Especially when you have four going on five kids. Um, it was just my anniversary uh, this past week, and I, I bought uh, these beautiful flowers for my wife, and, and now it's Sunday, and those flowers, the beauty has faded. Peter says that this inheritance is, does not wither away like a flower that is beautiful one day and withers the next. And he says that this inheritance is eternal. I think inheritance refers to everything that the Lord has purchased for us. Uh, Not only eternal life, not only resurrection from the dead, not only reunion with loved ones, but I think it has purchased us Christ himself. Richard Sibbs, the Puritan, said, Heaven is not heaven without Christ. I say the joys of heaven are not the joys of heaven without Christ. He is the very heaven of heaven. 
That's our inheritance that we are waiting for. So this new birth not only produces a living hope, it produces an eternal inheritance, but this new birth produces eternal security. Notice verse 5. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. I don't know if you have struggled whether you are going to make it in the Christian life or whether you will follow Christ to the end, but here... Peter wants to assure you that if you are truly his, God will keep you to the very end. It's, your inheritance is being kept by God's power, guarded through faith. This, that's a military term. Uh, God will keep you. We, we love to sing the hymn, He will hold me fast. When I fear my faith will fail, He will hold me fast. And that's what Peter is saying, that Christ, God, will keep you. He will keep this inheritance protected for you. This inheritance is not something that COVID can't, it can't touch. You have something that can't be polluted. You have something that does not fade or wither or rot. So that's why Paul tells us to set our minds on things above, to lay up treasures on earth, our treasures on heaven, excuse me. Not lay up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. So where is your heart set upon? Is it set upon something that can perish, be polluted, and pass? Or is your hope set on something that is better, something that is imperishable, undefiled, and secured? Uh, do you remember what God has done for you? And let what God has done for you motivate you to be faithful in the present. And I just want to say to you, if you haven't been born again, I'm not asking if you've been baptized or a member of a local church. I've, I'm asking you, have you been made new? Have you seen new desires in your life for His Word, for obedience? Or in the words of one writer, do you have the life of God in your soul? And that comes by faith in the Word of God, faith in the preach Word, hearing of the Gospel of Christ. You know, there's just rising depression rates, rising anxiety because people are without hope. The, the secular air we breathe teaches us that we came here by accident, that we are just evolved animals, and that we are just going to the dust. Well, the Christian hope is not a dead hope like that. It's a, it's a living hope. It's as sure as the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You're, you were made in God's image, and because of sin, God's image was marred, but God sent a Redeemer to renew God's image in you, if you believe what Christ has achieved at the cross and what he achieved in the resurrection, you can have that living hope if you turn from your sins and trust in him. So not only should we praise God for what he is doing in the past, causing us to be born again to a living hope, to an eternal inheritance, to eternal security, but praise God for what he is doing in the present. I don't know if you know the story about Elizabeth Elliot, that was the, the wife of the, the famous missionary Jim Elliot. And by the way, after waiting five years to marry Jim Elliot, she was married to this man only two years before he got speared to death by the Rowoni uh, people in Ecuador, moments after he arrived in hopes of sharing the gospel. She eventually lived with this tribe who killed her with her husband in hopes of sharing the gospel with her young children. Her second husband was lost to cancer. Yet, she says that in her deepest suffering, she learned the deepest lessons about God. 
We often ask the question, why doesn't God do something about suffering? Well, she says, He has, He did, and He will. Uh, she says, suffering and love are linked as God's love for His people is evidence in sending Jesus to carry our sins, grief, and sufferings on the cross, sacrificially taking what, not was, what was not His on Himself so that we would be not required to carry it. He walked the ultimate path of suffering and he has won victory on our behalf. And Elizabeth Elliot has said, whatever is in the cup that God is offering to me, whatever, whether it be pain or sorrow or suffering and grief along with the many more joys, I'm willing to take it because I trust him. She says the cross is the gateway to joy because suffering is never for nothing. And that's the title of her book, Suffering is Never for Nothing. Suffering humbles us, doesn't it? It teaches us dependence. It, it weans us from the, 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 from the world's grip and hold on us. It, it helps us long for heaven as pilgrims. Suffering is never for nothing. So whatever trial you have experienced this past year or even this year, suffering is never for nothing. God is working. Because notice in verse 6, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. And I love that because uh, Peter is not a stoic. He's not saying just, just suck it up. No, there's real grief. There's real pain in our trials. And, and there are various trials or manifold trials. The, the word grieve is the same word that is used of the Lord Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he found his disciples sleeping. One of his closest disciples betraying him. And he says, even though we have been grieved by various trials, it's just for a little while, if necessary. So Peter is saying to us that trials have an expiration date. Uh, trials will end. Trials are not forever. He says to us, trials are necessary. Whatever situation God is putting you through, God meant it for good. One writer said that the sufferings of the faithful are divinely ordained tests, designed not to destroy them, but to sanctify them fully and triumphantly. The faithful do not simply survive their sufferings, but they have cause to rejoice in them and through them. And we can think about so many biblical examples, whether that's Joseph or Job or Daniel or Paul. God always uses suffering in the lives of his people to produce good, to produce Christ-likeness. You remember the words of Joseph after he was betrayed and sold into slavery? He said to his brothers, once he rose to power, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Our Heavenly Father employs the furnace of affliction not to ruin, but to refine the faith of His people, one commentator said. Again, I, I don't know what trials you've experienced this past year, whether that's job loss, whether that's losing a loved one, whether that's your health, whether that's losing income. I, I don't know what pain you have experienced, and, and I don't want to minimize your pain. But I just want to encourage you that God is working in your pain. And he, Peter wants to raise our minds heavenward. Paul says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Or Romans 8, 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. He's not trying to minimize pain, but he's saying in the light of eternally, in the light of what God will do in reversing the pain and the suffering, it's going to seem light when we all get to heaven. 
That's why James tells us to count it all joys when we encounter various trials because it produces steadfastness. Uh, suffering should mature you. It should humble you. It should cause you to depend upon the Lord. C.S. Lewis reflected on this in his book, The Great Divorce. He says, that is what mortals misunderstand. They, they say of some temporal suffering, no future bliss can make up for it, not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn that agony into a glory. That God will make all things new and redeem your pain. Because notice the purpose of trials in verse 7. The tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And I don't have to illustrate that imagery for you. You know that picture of uh, the gold going through uh, the fire, uh, the dross or the, the impurities being refined as that gold is, is going through the fire. And uh, that illustrates itself. And, and God is refining us to, to something that's more precious than gold, a faith that is tried and tested. Proverbs 17.3 says, The crucible is for silver and the furnace for gold, and the Lord tests hearts. Job 23.10, He knows the way that I take. When He has tried me, I shall come out as gold. Or Isaiah 48.10, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. So, brother and sister, be encouraged that suffering is never for nothing. Trust God. Endure suffering. Keep believing that God is good. Show compassion and pray for those who are suffering. Trials have an expiration date. Persevere because suffering is never for nothing. If Jesus can endure the greatest sufferings for you to deliver you from eternal judgment, then you can endure lesser sufferings and temporal, suffering, temporal sufferings for Him. And one of the signs that you truly belong to Christ is that you endure and you persevere in your sufferings. You don't turn away from God in your sufferings, but you turn to God in your sufferings. That was the life of Job. And if you turn away from God and you begin to doubt God's goodness, and you begin to even uh, form bitterness about God, uh, that's, that's not the path you want to go down. Uh, Jesus said in the famous parable of the sower, he says, these are the ones who are sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while, then when tribulation or persecution arises account of the word, immediately they fall away, because suffering not only refines and matures the believers, but suffering also sifts out those who do not belong to him. And this is why I love your pastor, because he's committed to expositional preaching, preaching that goes through books of the Bibles, that preaches not only the good things, but also prepares you for suffering. Faithful preaching will prepare you for suffering and prepare you for heaven. And the church is often refined in suffering. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, isn't it? The word goes out in times of persecution. Sometimes it will reveal the genuine faith of some while it exposes the false faith of those who do not endure. I've been telling my church that, that this past year, some members are not going to return to the church. 
the church might look a lot differently. Uh, the church, you know, at our church, we're gathering about 70%, but some might not return. See, suffering refines and it sifts. And if you don't believe in God, I just want to say to you, if, if there is no God, suffering is just the way things are in this cold universe. Thank you, brother. Suffering is just meaningless, not meaningful. Uh, do you really want to believe that? Now, the Christian has a, a better hope. So praise God for what he has done in the past. Praise God for what he is doing in the present. And finally, praise God for what he will do in the future. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Uh, you remember the words that Jesus said to Thomas after he rose again from the grave. He, uh, Thomas was skeptical. He's saying, unless I see his hands inside, I will not believe. But then finally Jesus showed him his hand and his, his nail-pierced hands. And, and Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Brothers and sisters, that's us. We have not seen Jesus physically, but because of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit produces love in our hearts for Christ as we hear the gospel. And God's Spirit works upon our hearts to see the glory of the gospel. And though we do not see Him now, we love Him. And love will always be expressed in obedience to His word, John 15. So do you love him? Do you, do you believe in him? Do you believe on the testimony of the scriptures? Do you rejoice in him because of what he has purchased for you? Your salvation is nearer than when you first believed because Jesus is coming soon. And salvation means deliverance. God not will only save you from past sins, deliver you from present sins, but finally deliver you from sin altogether when he comes again. And this salvation is working the outcome of your faith. Outcome is the word telos, which means aim, goal, or end. And, and the goal of our salvation is the salvation of our souls, which includes the body as well. Redemption from sin, resurrection from the dead, eternal life with a triune God. What a living hope we have. Uh, if you're not a Christian, do you have this living hope? A hope that is sure. The suffering we experience in this world is because of sin, being sinned against and sinning against others. Our greatest sin is that we have forsaken God and we are alienated from God because of our sin. But this triune God had a plan from all eternity. He would elect and choose sinners to be vessels of mercy. He would send His only Son into the world to die for cursed sinners who deserve the wrath of God. And he would rise again from the dead, sending his Holy Spirit to cause the new birth and grant repentance and faith to those who would respond to his word. And if you cry out to God for mercy, the Spirit of God is already at work in you to cause you to see the glory of Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God will cause you to repent and trust in Christ. Sin is empty. Peter will remind us Later, uh, Jesus redeemed us from emptiness and hopelessness and give us a living hope. So praise God for our salvation, what He has done in the past, what He is doing in the present, 
and what he is doing in the future. And Peter wants to remind us this to endure present sufferings. I read a moving story that on May 15, 53, John Calvin wrote letters to five Christian martyrs who lived in Lyon, France, who would soon face death by the hands of a French executioner. The, the French king hated Protestants, and yet these five brave Christians returned to their homeland after th- their theological studies to preach the gospel to the, the people of France. Calvin would remind them of their inheritance and their blessed hope. He said that in leaving this world, we do not go away at a venture. You know not only from the certainty you have that there is a heavenly life, but also from being assured of the free adoption of our God. You go there as to your inheritance. That God should have appointed you his son's martyrs is a token to you of super abounding grace. As they made their way to their stake, they prayed with one another, they sang hymns, they kissed one another goodbye, saying adieu, adieu, my brother, which means more than goodbye, it means we will see each other again. And the final words of these martyrs were, courage, my brothers, courage, as the flames were lit, and these martyrs would literally give their lives to the cause of Christ, because they knew what a great salvation that lied ahead of them, as they passed through the flames. They endured present suffering because they had an eternal perspective and a blessed hope that went beyond the grave. And two years earlier, Calvin wrote a commentary on First Peter saying that the cross has been the way to victory and death a passage to life. Uh, Spurgeon says, My faith rests not upon what I am or shall be or feel or know, but in what Christ is and what he has done and what he is now doing in me. And may God give us that courage as we endure various trials. We can praise God and rejoice in our trials knowing what God has done in the past, what God is doing in the present, and what he will do in the future when he makes all things new. So brothers and sisters, may you be encouraged by our great salvation and the living hope we have no matter what will come our way in 2021 and the years ahead. And may God grant you abundant grace. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that in your mercy you caused us to be born again to a living hope, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven by your power. We rejoice in this knowing that trials are necessary to mature us in Christ. Trials are necessary to wean us off this world and make us long for heaven. Trials are necessary to make us more Christ-like because we know that if we share in His sufferings, we will share in His glory as well. We will share in resurrection from the dead. We praise God that you will come again. Your Son will come again to judge the living and the dead. You will raise those who have trusted in you to eternal life while those who have rejected this great salvation will perish forever in the lake of fire. So Father, we pray that we would hope in you and trust in you as we endure present trials. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.